0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Go Eagles, right? Yeah. Woohoo! And with that one sentence, uh, some significant percentage of you love me. Three of you are alienated, right? The three Patriots fans, and everybody else is still just hungry because we mentioned a little Smokies a little bit ago. Uh, well, since since today is a football day, I figured it's a good day to start out with a football illustration. So, some of you have seen the movie The Blind Side. It came out, I think, about a decade ago or so, the one with Sandra Bullock and Tim McGraw, telling the story of of Michael Orr, a kid who started out with a really rough past, but then he went on to become a successful NFL player, and one of the teams he was on actually went on to go become Super Bowl champions. But at the beginning of this movie, Sandra Bullock's voice is narrating over a clip from a 1985 Monday night football game where the Giants were playing the Redskins. And in this football game, Lawrence Taylor, who's just an amazing defensive player, he lays a huge hit on the Redskins quarterback, Joe Theisman, just takes him out. It actually ends up breaking Theismann's leg and, and ending his NFL career. I mean, if you watch the replay, it's just cringeworthy, the, the angle that his leg gets bent in. And I'm sure one of the reasons that, that this hit that Lawrence Taylor laid on Joe Theismann, why it was so serious, is because Joe Theismann never saw it coming. Right, if you watch the replay, Joe Theismann kind of looking down the field, looking to make a play. And and Lawrence Taylor comes in from behind of him. He's not blocked at that point, just jumps on him and takes him out. And Joe Theismann had zero opportunity to prepare himself to brace for the impact that was coming on him and Lawrence Taylor. And so, so while this clip is playing, at the beginning of Blindside, Sandra Bullock's voice is narrating over this clip. If you've seen the movie, you can, you can hear her southern drawl as I kind of read what she says here at the beginning. She, sa- she says, Joe Theismann never played another down of football. Now she, she continues and she says, now y'all would guess that more often than not, the highest paid player on an NFL team is the quarterback, and you'd be right. And then she starts to tell us, the movie watchers, where she's going with all this. She says, what you probably don't know is that, more often than not, the second highest paid player is, thanks to Lawrence Taylor, a left tackle, an offensive lineman. She says the left tackle's job is to protect the quarterback from what he can't see coming. It's to protect his blind side. Well, well, here we are in this series that we're calling Generous. And our goal in this series is not just to help us do more generous things. Our goal in this series is to help us, as followers of Jesus, to become generous people. That's who we want to be from the inside out. But even while, we, even while we try to clear a lane for ourselves, that way we grow in generosity, right? Green space, open field, that direction. Even while we do that, we have to be aware that there could be something coming in from behind us, outside of our line of vision, that we don't see, but that can take us out and, and take us down. You see, you see, if we're not careful, even while we have every intention of growing in generosity, there is a linebacker after us. He's big, he's fast, he knows what he's doing, and he would love nothing more than to take you down and take you out. So today, my goal is to help you not get smacked from your blind side as we pursue generosity together. Because this, this linebacker, he would love nothing more than to take you out from making progress down that field. And so let's just name it, right? If we're going to grow in generosity, if we're going to make any progress as truly generous people, then the linebacker we need to watch out for is greed. Growing in generosity, it includes guarding against greed, right? Greed is the hungry linebacker who can't wait to to blindside you, and to take you out. If we we want to grow in generosity, we can't avoid greed. We we can't avoid guarding against it, having it on our radar screens, and doing everything we can to to, to dodge the tackle, right? To sidestep it, and to guard against it. The the thing is, everybody that, that I know would nod in agreement that, yep, the sin of greed is serious, right? Everybody knows that. But nobody thinks greed applies to them, but it does, or or at least it can, right? This is something that all of us need to be dialed into, especially us living in America in the 21st century, the the wealthiest nation, of the wealthiest time ever in history. See, greed isn't just some big, ugly, green monster that's easy to spot and easy to avoid. Greed is insidious. Greed can take many different shapes. Greed can look like this obsessive focus on money, right? Where where certainly this can apply to somebody who makes gazillions of dollars a year and is just selfishly hoarding their pile of loot, right? But, But greed can just as easily apply to somebody who's scraping to make ends meet, but their focus is still always on money. Greed is about worrying about money, just as as much as it is about hoarding money. Or greed can be looking to stuff for ultimate satisfaction, right? Just basically materialism. Just listen to me as I read this this catchy summary of materialism for you. It says, we we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know and secure a future we can't guarantee. If we're anywhere close to that in our lives... We can't ignore greed. We have to be on guard against it. So we all need this, right? You need this. I need this. As I was prepping this week, trust me, I was reminded again and again how badly I need to be on guard against greed. This is for all of us. If we're going to grow as generous people, truly generous people, we have to protect our blind side. You have to guard against greed. And so now with everything I've just said in mind, showing us how close to home greed hits, how, how relevant this is for our lives, let, let's see what Jesus says about greed. Because we're going to see in this passage we're looking at today, Jesus speaks to it very directly, and he speaks to it very powerfully. So the place we're going is Luke chapter 12, and here's the setup for that. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but, but we learn that there are thousands of people kind of bending their ear, trying to lean in to hear what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 13 of Luke 12, one of, this dudes, one of these dudes from the crowd jumps in and asks Jesus a question. So here's what Luke 12, 13 says. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then Jesus said to them, right? That that word right there, to them. So so Jesus isn't just talking dude to dude right now. He's not just talking to the guy that asked him the question about the inheritance. Jesus zooms out, goes big, and and he says, hey, there are hundreds and thousands of people listening in here. What I'm about to say isn't just for this guy asking about the inheritance. What I'm about to say applies to them. What Jesus is about to say applies to us. It applies to you. And then Jesus continues, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Check your blind side, watch your blind spot. You see, Jesus, he doesn't just want to deal with a question of who gets the brothers China, right? He's not, he's not asking how we, how we divvy out pieces like that. Jesus isn't going to get into that, but, but he knows behind this question, there's a question behind that question. That's what he wants to deal with. And that question behind the, behind the question is an issue of the heart. That question behind the question is what leads this brother to, to talk about who gets the china. And that issue of the heart that Jesus addresses to him and to everybody else and to us says be on guard. Watch out. When Jesus says something twice back to back, listen. <laughs> you know, it's just good good observation, is serious, and what do we need to be on guard against? What do we need to watch out for? Be on guard against all kinds of greed. And so as we keep reading this passage, we're going to see how, how Jesus tells us to be on guard against greed. We're going to see three things that, that, that we need to see if we're, going to, if we're going to guard against greed well and effectively in our lives. We're going to see the subtle reality of greed As we keep reading, we're going to see the serious danger of greed, right? Because greed isn't cute, and it's not tame. It is dangerous in a seriously dangerous sort of way. And we're going to see the antidote to greed. And if we can see each of these things, and if we can really own these things, right, if we can internalize them, get them for ourselves, this will make such a difference in our lives, right? If we can see these things and learn to guard against greed, I think think we'll stand out as followers of Jesus in a culture where, where we need to see people stand out in some of these sorts of ways. This is one of the ways followers of Jesus should be distinct from the water in which we're swimming, from the culture in which we find ourselves. And I think there are people out there, I mean, Maybe there's even people in here, you know, who who have been pursuing the almighty dollar for so long. But but they're starting to realize, maybe they've realized for a while, that that almighty dollar can't satisfy. That there's a better ultimate good in their lives. Maybe they don't know what it is, but they know it's not the almighty dollar. And I think there's those people out there, maybe in here, that, that we need to see people living different. We need to see people living generously that aren't trapped by the snare of greed. And I think as people see what Jesus says on this topic, I think, I think they'll be attracted to that when they've been disillusioned by pursuing the almighty dollar. And I think maybe even some of you in here today will say, hey, if Jesus is worth listening to on that, maybe I need to consider everything else he says too. And then the difference this can make isn't just that we avoid greed, right? This isn't just to not sin. I mean, that's part of it. But, but if we can avoid greed, the subtle reality of greed, the serious danger of greed, if we can apply the antidote to greed, that will make us generous people. That's the sort of people we want to be. People who are truly generous from the heart and stand out in that way. So, so, so let's dive in. So that's the forecast of where we're going So now that you know that, let's keep reading in Luke chapter 12. So I'll pick it back up in verse 15. Just continue on. So so then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So so this rich farmer, right, he has a windfall year, way beyond any of his projections, right? Couldn't have prepared for how successful the year was. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, you fool. It is never a good thing when God calls you a fool, by the way. God says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Such are powerful words. Words that we need to hear. Words that we need to process and digest. You see, in what Jesus says here, we see the subtle reality of greed. It's right there in verse 15 that I just read. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed exists in many shapes. And if we knew, if we knew how many shapes greed existed in, how close it is to us, I think most of us would be much more uncomfortable. I would be much more uncomfortable when I realize how close of a proximity greed lives in my neighborhood. Right, lives to me, to the circle that I stand in. The subtle reality of greed. My my kids are reading this uh, series of books called *Lemony Snicket's* series of unfortunate events. They are they're plowing through it. I think there's a actually I know there's a show on Netflix because we watched it. Um, but but in, this, in this series of unfortunate events, the bad guy, right, Count Olaf, he is trying to get this fortune of this inheritance from a family of kids, right? They've, they've lost their parents, so there's two sisters and a, brother's, the, and a brother, the Baudelaire kids. And, and, and Count Olaf just can't seem to get it, right? The kids are always outsmarting him. But, but then Count Olaf just puts on a disguise, usually a pretty poor disguise, right? But, but then he just tries to come at them come at their fortune, come after them from a different angle. And so in the series of of unfortunate events, the, the kids don't just have to ward off Count Olaf once. The kids have to ward off Count Olaf in all of his disguises, again and again and again and again. This is what greed is. Greed presents itself in many different disguises. And warding off greed isn't just something we do once. Warding off greed, guarding against greed, protecting our blind side is something we do again and again and again and again. So that means we need to have kind of this clued-in awareness of some of the ways greed presents itself. So here are some of the easy ones that I thought of as I was prepping this week. So, so sure, greed can can show itself in in selfishly hoarding lots of money. But greed can also show itself in this constant, frantic worry about money. The poor can be greedy just as easily as the rich can. Greed can show itself in window shopping online and losing a whole hour or a whole afternoon of your time looking at at your wish list online. I mean, you don't even want to buy anything. You just want to review what you want. Or greed can show itself in materialism. Thinking that more stuff, whatever that more stuff is for you, new clothes, new car, new cash, another C I could think of, right? I mean, new something. Whatever that more stuff is for you, you think that that will satisfy you. And those are just the easy ways greed shows itself. What what scares me is all of the ways greed can show itself that I don't even know about. Because we don't know what we don't know about the ways greed shows itself. We we live in a materialistic culture here in America. It's the water we swim in. And just like a a fish can't evaluate the water it swims in, just doesn't even think about it. It's tough for us to evaluate just, just how much our materialistic culture has its talons in us. This is where an outside voice is so helpful in helping us see the things in our culture that we would never see for ourselves. So a few years ago, the Huffington Post had this blog on its site where, where a young adult gal, she'd spent 18 years of her life growing up in Pakistan, right? So she's an outsider looking in, she moved to America, and she just reflects on her first few months or years living in America. And so certainly much of it is positive, right? She's so grateful for many of the things that she sees in America and experiences in America that she couldn't living in Pakistan, that she didn't living in Pakistan. But then she starts to reflect on, on materialism. And, and her reflections on America get, get a little bit more sobering. And this just grabbed me as I read what she had to say. So again, this is an outsider looking in on our culture somebody who can help us see what we don't see for ourselves. She she says the American dream is becoming more and more materialistic. I guess it was always a bit materialistic, but when I look at America today, I see a nation obsessed with shopping and buying unnecessary products. There's no end to the products that people want. The latest iPhone, expensive cars, designer bags, the list is endless. The American dream revolves around luxury goods for most people. And then she continues, she says, shopping isn't a problem on its own, right? So so there's nothing inherently wrong with shopping. But instead, it's the obsessive accumulation of unnecessary products, along with the hope that buying a Chanel bag will somehow make you happier. That's what's problematic. What's problematic isn't the Chanel bag in itself, it's just a bag, right? But what's a problem is when we can't, what's a problem is when we can't not have that. What's the problem is when we're looking to our stuff to somehow make you happier, right? When we start to see that in ourselves, when we get that pointed out, that's where we need to start asking ourselves this whole other set of questions. And we see how subtly greed has become a reality to us. Hey, 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 hey how much is in our proximity? How much is in our zip code? So greed is closer than you think. If we're going to be on guard against greed, we have to see this. We have to be aware that it's close, that it's real. And then we also need to see the serious danger of greed. Let's finish out what Jesus says in verse 15. We're just going to start, pick, start there, keep going through that. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do you hear that? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. One of the dangers of greed is it just takes one word out of what Jesus says there. And it, it tries to convince us that life does consist in an abundance of possessions. One of, one of the dangers of greed is that it fools us into thinking that more stuff equals better life. More stuff equals more happiness, contentment, satisfaction, peace, fulfillment, whatever, right? One of the dangers of greed is that it fools us into thinking that stuff will satisfy. Greed tells us that, that whatever that stuff is, more money, bigger paycheck, newer car, whatever, that if you can have that, you'll be happy. And greed tells us that, that if you need to sacrifice relationships to get that stuff, so be it. Greed tells us that if you need to sacrifice ethics, what you know is right, to get the bigger raise, the better car, so be it. This lie is, is dismantled pretty easily if we, if we just take a second and think about it. I mean, I just need to think back to my boys. Right? I mean, at any given time, every birthday for like the last 12 years, one of my boys has been asking for a Nerf gun. Um, and so we have, a, like, we have an arsenal in our house, right? Just yesterday, I was like looking for a white flag because like Nerf guns can hurt. Like eventually you graduate to a kind of Nerf gun that like will leave welts. Um, so that was me yesterday. Two of my boys just unrelenting coming at me. But so, so they want, they've wanted Nerf guns for their birthday for a long time. So it's not uncommon for us to get them some painfully-welt-giving Nerf guns eventually, you know? So, so, so they do that. And they think that that Nerf gun is going to bring them happiness, right? It'll complete them. But then they get the Nerf gun, and two hours later, they're complaining because the thing is jammed up, and the bullet's kind of stuck and wedged in there in a way they, they, they can't get out. The thing they, they thought would bring them fulfillment just brings them frustration Instead. I mean, and that's the cute kid example. But, but there are much more serious examples that apply to all of us, even as adults here. There's this guy by the name of Sam Polk. I think he is a hedge, fan, a hedge fund manager on Wall Street at one time. And he writes this in the New York Times. It's crazy convicting. He says, my last year on Wall Street, my bonus was $3.6 million. And I was angry, because it wasn't enough. I was 30 years old, had no children to raise, no debts to pay, no philanthropic goal in mind. I wanted more money for exactly the same reason an alcoholic needs another drink. I was addicted. That's the danger of greed. He's trapped by it. There's no no amount that would have been enough for him at that point. Greed is also dangerous because you get fooled into thinking you're self-sufficient. Because the more stuff you get, the more you think that you got that by yourself or you got that for yourself. And the more stuff you get, the more you can depend on that stuff sometimes instead of God. I mean, this is what's going on in the parable of the rich landowner that Jesus tells in Luke 12. I mean, at first glance, it's easy to read that story we just read and wonder what's so bad about what the farmer does. I mean, he, so, he, so he has a windfall year, and his land produces a ton of crops, which basically just equates to cha-ching, right? I mean, back then, agrarian society, crops equal money. Dude was loaded. And so he does what seems to be the natural thing. He just builds bigger barns to accommodate all this surplus, the windfall that he's gotten. And all this seems good. I mean, after all, there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. We can point to lots of examples in the Bible where there's godly and wealthy people, extremely wealthy people. I can point to examples today where there's people that have a lot of money and they're tremendously godly. And then there's certainly nothing wrong with saving for the future like the farmer seemed to be doing at first glance. I mean, we can find passages in the Bible that encourage saving for the future, that that encourage planning ahead. So what's wrong? Why does this farmer get such strong words from God who calls him a fool? Here's what's wrong. This rich landowner, with with all of his wealth, is thinking only of himself. He's thinking only of the circle that he stands in. Right? I mean, in in just a few verses here, the rich landowner, you can count it later if you want to, he uses one of the personal pronouns, right? Me, my, I, something like that. He uses those personal pronouns, listen to this, 11 times in about three or four verses. This this dude is selfish, and he doesn't even see it in himself. He doesn't even know it. But it's all over the parts of this parable where he speaks. He's trying to secure a future for himself and by himself with zero reference to God. So the problem isn't with wealth or savings per se. What is a problem? is wealth and savings that have no reference point for God. Verse 21 is clear. Jesus says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So that's the danger of greed. But in that same verse, we see the antidote to greed, right? Because Jesus isn't only showing the problem about greed, he also holds out the solution in that verse we just read, Jesus says, this is how it will be for everyone who, whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That's the solution. And, and so if that's the solution, if that's how we avoid greed, if that's how we guard against this sin of greed, what does that mean to be rich toward God? I and mean, that's the right question to ask, isn't it? What does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, being rich toward God, it starts with being poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5, in one of the central sermons of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? Matthew 5 to 7, just the centerpiece in the book of Matthew. One of the central sermons, Jesus says, very well-known passage, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so this is the upside-down reality of life with God. That if you want to be rich, like truly rich, you become poor, poor in spirit, and what that means, what it means to be poor in spirit, is just that we, we know that without God, we are bankrupt. We, we bring nothing to the table. God isn't impressed with, with what's on your paycheck stub. God isn't impressed with the kind of car you drive. It starts with being poor in spirit, just holding our hands open and saying, God, without you, we are nothing. It's a spiritual bankruptcy. And, and what a contrast... To the rich landowner in Luke 12. We're we're there in, in that parable. We see this dude who has everything on earth that you would want. More than you would want. More than he could have. And he inherits nothing eternally. And when we stack that up against Matthew 5, 3. Where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For they will see the kingdom of God. They will inherit the kingdom of God. It's the poor, poor, the poor in spirit who inherit true riches, the, the life that is truly life. Well, being rich toward God also means including God in your math. And what I mean there is just that we learn what God says about finances. Because God says a lot about finances. Did you know that Jesus actually speaks more about finances than he does about heaven and hell? And if you zoom out past the New Testament, right past the Gospels, where we see what Jesus says, the rest of the Bible just keeps adding on to what God says about finances. And and it's very practical. This is why we offer Financial Peace University every year here at Brookside, because there's no better class that shows us this biblical financial wisdom and then applies it in such a tremendously practical way that intersects all over the place with the things you actually face in life. So if you've never taken FPU, we're actually offering a group starting later this month. Make sure you get online, get the details, and get it on your radar screen. But, but including God in your math, it also means we become joyful givers. You'll hear, you'll hear more about this next week, but for now, let me just get my foot in the door and say how important the regular habit of joyful and sacrificial giving is. Nothing will release the, the grip of materialism on your life like practicing the regular habit of of joyful and sacrificial giving. And then being rich toward God, finally, it means investing in in things that have eternal value. We saw this last week from from 1 Timothy 6, where, where we saw that investing in eternity, it means being rich in good deeds. It means we're quick to serve. And I love what John shared just a little bit ago, but always we're doing that with the care center right, the leaders and the volunteers and everything we're trying to do to serve others so genuinely. It's a great example of investing in eternity. Or just this last weekend, Friday night, all the way into Saturday morning, our, our middle school ministry had its lock-in, all-night lock-in. So those, those 25 adult volunteers that were here with 225 middle school kids, right, that could have turned into Lord of the Flies very quickly. Uh, <laughs> those volunteers and, and, and all the kids who were inviting their middle school friends to go to a church event and hear about Jesus, that's investing in eternity. The thing is, we're doing this. I love all the ways we're doing this as a church. Let's just keep our foot on the gas pedal. Let's do more and more of it. And then investing in eternity means we're generous with our time, our talents, and our resources. It means we learn everything we can about what God is about about the things that are closest to God's heart, and then we spend ourselves. We, we do it joyfully, but we spend ourselves for those same things that God is about. So growing in generosity is our goal. right? Not just doing generous things, but being generous people. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to make progress toward that end zone, towards that goal, we need to watch out for what we can't see. We need to guard our blind side. We need to guard against greed. <coughs> so let's boil all this down into two questions. First question is Am I aware of and on guard against the reality and dangers of greed? We've seen how close the reality of greed is to us. And how, how dangerous, how seriously dangerous greed can be. Are you checking your blind side? Or the second question, am I rich toward God? Is God out of the picture, not just of your finances, but is God out of the picture of your everyday life? On Thursday afternoons, is there any reference point for God in your life? Or, or is our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is he the reference point that you build your life around and upon? Is Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord and your greatest good that you build your life around and upon? These aren't just questions we ask once and then we move past and we're like, check, I can move past that. These are questions we never stop asking ourselves. We ask ourselves these questions this, this afternoon. We ask ourselves these questions next month, next year. And in 20 years, am I on guard against greed? And am I rich toward God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. That, even your word that sometimes challenges cultural assumptions we have. Your word that helps us see the water we're swimming in Jesus and know how to live in a way that honors you. And so, so Father, our, our request is that you help us grow in true generosity. May that start with being poor in spirit, acknowledging our need before you. And then, Jesus, may, may it end in investing in things that have eternal value. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.